Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Stocks soared overnight on bets of the U.S. Fed acting cautiously on interest rates and increased confidence in Eurozone monetary stimulus. Standard Chartered unleashes record job cuts and China's inflation may have accelerated to 1.5% in December, while factory prices may have fallen 3%. Official figures will be released today by the National Bureau of Statistics. Today on Money for Nothing, we examine what the technical charts are telling us about the strength of regional and international stock indices. Then we take a look at Blueprint, which is an initiative by Swire Properties designed to help the city's tech community grow through subsidized space and strategic support. Our guests this morning include John Schofield of Tempus Investment, Charlie Melvoin and Henry Bott of Blueprint. And our guest host this morning is Enzio Von File. Good morning. Morning, Enzio. Morning to you. Enzio, are you equally excited by the promise of monetary stimulus in Europe? Absolutely not. I think <laughs> it is dreadful that the central bank is having to do to pick up the can for politicians who refuse to reform in any meaningful way, and the chickens will come home to roost very, very harshly at some point. Um, because what the central bank is doing is a debasement of the currency. So it's the, the central bank is enabling the lack of reforms in Europe, and that's dreadful. Well, happy to start Friday on that positive note. Thank you for that. <laughs> yes, we always believe in positive thinking. Yep. Uh, we'll be ta- talking more about those chickens coming home to roost, but let's take a look at today's top stories. European and Wall Street stocks soared overnight as oil prices steadied and investors became more confident of Eurozone monetary stimulus. The Dow rose 323 points to 17,907. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq also climbed 1.8% to finish at 2,062 and 4,736 respectively. An index of European shares surged 3.5% after the president of the ECB Mario Draghi said that any stimulus implemented by the ECB could include the purchase of government bonds. But Barry Eichengreen, who is an economics professor at UC Berkeley, um, is in somewhat agreement with Enzio here. He says that things in Europe could get worse. Europe has two problems, deflation and Greece. The ECB could do something about the first, but I'm skeptical it will, and it can't do anything about the second. So things are going to get worse in Europe, in my view, before they get better. So the question is then, will Greece exit the euro? I see Greece going halfway. So Greece is going to move to a Cyprus, Cyprus in 2013-like solution if Syriza, the left-wing party, wins the election or forms the next government, namely capital controls. So I don't think they dump the euro. I don't think they reintroduce the drachma. But they will experience bank bank runs and capital flight. And we saw capital controls as one response Mm -hmm. to that. Um, The ECB could foam the runway. It could cross the Rubicon and really do open-ended QE later this month. But I'm skeptical. Why is he so skeptical? I think they're temperamentally incapable and constitutionally incapable because they have a very restrictive mandate and a very large governing board so they can only move incrementally they can only move in baby steps Mm -hmm. and incrementalism is not enough to defeat deflation 
So Enzio, Barry sounds like your kind of guy. He says that the ECB is temperamentally and constitutionally incapable. Is this what's going to bring those chickens home to roost? Well, I think the the bigger problem is that the politicians are mentally incapable <laughs> of doing anything that would lead us, for instance, to better labor market reforms that would lead to a cut in taxes, all this old-fashioned von Hayek stuff that I was at least taught under him years ago. And it's really the politicians who are refusing to reform. And I think that's the major danger. The view the central bank really is a street sweeper that is coming in to try and clear up the mess that the politicians are creating. But as the politicians refuse to change, I don't think that the central bank is going to be able to make a lot of things. They're basically the, – the central bank is like chasing an elephant with a pop gun. Wow, that's that's quite the metaphor uh, for a Friday morning and for any day. So, Enzi, what does this mean then in terms of markets? I mean, they've been frothy, they've been up and down, they've been volatile. But uh, as of yesterday, everybody's suddenly in a, in a good mood. What do you think? Well, we don't believe in sudden stuff at private capital. I myself have been particularly bearish on Europe for some years, having grown up in the place. It's a welfare museum, just like Japan is a barricaded museum. And so I'm very, very bearish on Europe. I'm very positive on America, though, because I think that the can-do attitude of the Americans is coming through yet again. No other country in the world would be able to produce American Idol. It's a fantastically American way of doing things, this can-do attitude. Um, In the near term, however, I am rather skeptical of markets where I'm sure that we're differing to John Schofield, who's already beginning to um, look at his charts and squint a bit. So... Um, But I'm very much a bull of America and also of China, I must admit. I think that those are two – and India, those are very, very sensible markets to be in, but perhaps not in the near term because I think that it's going to be a little bit messy. Okay, perfect opportunity to bring in John Schofield, who is the director of Tempest Investment. Good morning, John. Yes, good morning to you. So, John, Enzio says that you are squinting at your charts. Is there reason to squint? Is that a good squint? Uh, it's a pretty good squint. I'm afraid I'm going to have to disappoint Enzio because I, I basically agree with what he just said uh, 100%. I mean, my three top markets for this year are uh, the U.S. continuing. We, we've got a fantastic bull market going on, uh, you know, in the S&P 500. And uh, in my view, it's still in this sort of, um, well, middle phases of, a, of, you know, a real multi-year run. Um, we're starting to see... John, some, can I in- uh, intersect for a moment? I mean, yeah. is it really a bull market? I mean, I know that, you know, the, the, the latest read is positive, but there's been so much mm-hmm. volatility. I mean, we had uh, the S&P 500 drop for five straight sessions just up until uh, yesterday. Yeah. Well, I look at weekly charts uh, and a few days uh, here or there doesn't. What we've seen actually for the last two years is an incredibly consistent pattern. Um, where the S&P is rising on – it's on a very strong long-term trend, by which I mean a rising 200-day moving average. Every now and again, yeah, we get a little dip back, but each time uh, each time we get a little bit of a shakeout, the buyers come in at a slightly higher level, and that's the definition of, a, of an uptrend. And it's very, very consistent. Uh, we've just seen that – and I think that's what, exactly what we've seen at the start of the, the year. A little bit of a shakeout early January. Um, by the end of January, we should be in new record highs, and that will set the tone for the rest of the year. So, you know, one thing that analysts, uh, of course, different <clears throat> analysts have different views, but many of them will say, well, you <clears throat> know, history does not predict the future. Um, but judging by what you're saying, that uh, the charts might tell us differently. And, you know, if we go by the charts, then uh, history <clears throat> might predict the future. <clears throat> 
Um, well, we're not in the we're in the business of forecasting, and we're in the business of analysing uh, price behaviour and price trends. And um, so, all I'm saying is that, in all probability, uh, until we see the market's behaviour pattern change which there's no sign of that as yet, uh, as I just said, then we're going to continue on this, on this bull trend. Uh, and the fundamentals, I think, support it clearly in the case of the U.S. You know, the, uh, the U.S. economy is streets ahead of everywhere else, Europe and Japan. And, um, you know, we're seeing a strong labor market, uh, good corporate earnings, etc., etc. Um, Enzio, did you want to add to that? Not really, because John and I have walked, worked together for many years, and I, I, it sounds very sensible what he's saying. I just think that perhaps in the near term we do have a lot of geopolitical muck running around, and particularly in Eastern Europe that also has to be factored in, also in what I call the Muddle East, not the Middle East. <laughs> and so I think that that's going to certainly also raise a number of hackles, um, really leading to a further depression in the long-term Treasury bond. In other words, the, the, amazingly, last year, the U.S. Treasuries were up 35% over the year, over the past 12 months, because of capital gains. And I'm not looking at a 35% gain, but I do think that the long bond in America will continue being a safe haven, as will gold, which is always an insurance policy for us at private capital. It is not an investment. Yeah. Okay. So, John, uh, S&P 500 looking good. America in general looking good with the long bond, you know, as uh, Enzio says, that these are all safe haven assets. Yeah. What about charts elsewhere in Europe and specifically here, Hong Kong and China, um, with sort of the fizzling out, if you will, of the, of the excitement uh, related to the stock link? But now, you know, is there a chance for sort of a reemergence of excitement about this? Uh, yeah, I think so for two, two reasons. Yeah, I'm, I'm also bullish on China. I think we've just seen the start of uh, a bull market. You know, we had a long, uh, whether it's whether we're talking A shares, H shares, or the other Hong Kong listed China China plays, you know, we've had a long uh, long period of range trading and base building in, in, in my terms. And just in the last couple of months of, of 2014, 2014, we started to see uh, these indices moving out of those trading ranges. Um, triggered, of course, by a change of policy uh, uh, by the People's Bank in China, uh, is now now heading towards a sort of e- uh, monetary easing, and I think that's what's unle- part of part of the reason it's unleashed this big rally in, in A shares. Uh, another thing to point out is that the H shares uh, are now trading at a fantastic discount of thirty percent to um, to the A shares. So um, you know, there's definitely an opportunity there for for, for a catch up rally. And, um, and certainly charts, limited downside risk. And charts look good yeah. in terms of, you know, if you invest in them today, what that could yeah. go up to? Uh, yes. I mean, as I say, we're still in the early stages of, uh, of the bull market, in my opinion. Um, and take a simple example. If we take the H shares index, which is trading just around 12,000 at the moment, it needs to move above 12,200. Uh, to break out of this uh, this range it's been in for the last several years. But once it does that, then the upside is quite significant, probably towards the, the fourteen to 15,000 uh, range. John, just I've always felt that the Hong Kong market is the water skier off the back of the Chinese speedboat. Um, what are your thoughts on the Hang Seng Index, given the recent demonstrations that we've had and a, a certain feeling of gloom about our place here? Yeah, the problem with the—I think the markets have been very resilient to the Occupy Central and, uh, and all that, um, pretty much ignoring it. Have to remember, the Hang Seng Index these days is um, 
is more or less 50%, I think, China plays anyway. So that's bullish supported. However, we've still got heavy weighting in banks like HSBC, which are uh, actually in bear markets. So um, the cross-currents on the Hang Seng Index make it actually quite difficult to read. And I, for the time being, I think it's going to be uh, in a range. So we really need to look at the other indis- and indices, the, uh, the China uh, Pacific, specific ones, the eight shares or the... Um, uh, or the um, what it's called now, the China, <laughs> the red chip index. So, John, what about Europe? I mean, surely it, this is an opportunity to buy in Europe right now? Um, in local currency terms, I suspect you're right. Uh, we are seeing a hell of a lot of volatility. Um, indexes like the DAX in Germany, obviously Germany is, you know, the strongest economy uh, on a relative basis in Europe, uh, are in actually not too bad shape. But uh, unfortunately, it's all about this dollar this U.S. dollar bull market and the, um, you know, the trashing of currencies by the other central banks, Japan and uh, ECB in particular. Um, so in U.S. dollar terms, and therefore in Hong Kong dollar terms, as, f- as far as we're concerned, we're probably not going to um, get very far. So I see uh, continuous, uh, continued volatility, but currency weakness offsetting any uh, equity gains. So, Enzio, you agree? Just you- one point that I would add, John, is that the <clears throat> currency weakness is also mm-hmm. going to pertain very much to the third world currencies because they've all mm-hmm. currency mismatched. They have some bright sparks. Mm-hmm. Why don't you get cheap dollar debt and then finance yeah. it out of our soft yeah. currencies? That's, that's, going, that's why I'm very, very mm-hmm. bearish in the near term because I think that chicken's going to come home to roost with the ruble mm-hmm. being just a foreplay of that. Yes. Uh, certainly in Asia, there's, a, there's an index called the... Um, Asia dollar index, which is a basket of all the currencies, and that's also quite weak against the U.S. dollar. Uh, so, in general, you know, that includes currencies like the Korean won, Taiwan dollar, um, Indonesian rupiah, Indian rupee. It's generally on the weak side. So, um, with exceptions like the Hong Kong dollar, obviously, it's pegged, so it can't move. Um, I think I would agree with you. All right, John, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is John Schofield. He is the director of Tempus Investment. A quick look at the numbers. The Nikkei is up 144 points to 17,312. Australia's ASX index also up almost a percent to 5,410. And Seoul's Kospi also up 15 points to 1,919. In currencies, one euro will currently buy you. 1.17 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 119 yen and the pound sterling is currently worth 11 Hong Kong dollars and 69 cents. Well, switching to local news, Standard Chartered Bank says that it is closing the bulk of its global equities business, cutting about 200 jobs in seven markets, with half of them in Hong Kong. It's also announced plans to cut 2,000 jobs in retail banking over the course of this year. Richard Pine reports. Bankers of the equities division here arrived at work yesterday to find they were locked out of the office. Their peers in Singapore, India, South Korea and Indonesia also shared the same experience. The division includes cash equities, research and underwriting, all of which the bank said are unprofitable. It said the closure will save the bank 100 million US dollars in 2016. But this means Standard Chartered will become one of the first global banks to completely exit the equity capital markets business which involves underwriting stock offerings for companies. It would, though, retain its equity derivatives business, as well as its convertible bond and macroeconomic research units. The closure of the division was just an extension of an aggressive cost-cutting plan announced in October. 
The bank is aiming to save at least 400 million US dollars this year after it reported its first profit fall in a decade last year. To turn around the business, it has cut or announced the cutting of 2,000 retail banking jobs in the last three months. And now it says it plans to axe a further 2,000 jobs over the course of this year. That will help save 200 million US dollars this year, reaching half of the annual target. Investors welcome the cost cutting measures. Shares of Standard Chartered rose 2.9% to $115 in Hong Kong trading. And HSBC says that its Hong Kong CEO, Anita Fung, will leave the bank after three years in the job. She was the first woman to take on the job when she was appointed in September 2011. HSBC says that she'll pursue other opportunities outside the bank, and its China CEO, Helen Wong, will take up the job in March until a successor is found. And an industry group has urged the government to cut taxes for local enterprises to encourage investment in research and development. The Federation of Hong Kong Industries made the call in the run up to next week's policy address. Its chairman, Stanley Lau, says that Hong Kong should target high end manufacturing firms. We have to encourage some of the production facilities to be back to Hong Kong if possible. We would say that some high-end or the value-added workforces you know, could be come back to Hong Kong. I'm not talking about the mass production of processing work. Well, one story that has uh, certainly hit the Wall Street Journal in the last 24 hours is about Bill Gross, uh, the bond king previously of PIMCO, who left PIMCO abruptly to join Janus. And when he did so, a huge portion of the money that followed him came from the office of his personal financial advisor. Now, Janus disclosed that investors poured about $1.1 billion into Mr. Gross's new fund in October and November last year. This money was critical because it helped push the Janus Global Unconstrained Bond Fund past the million, sorry, the billion dollar mark, um, which is a key threshold for large investors, according to industry experts. But what Janus did not tell investors was that a majority of the money came from a single Southern California brokerage office, Morgan Stanley Wealth Management Office in La Jolla, California, which is the same office where one of Mr. Gross's personal financial advisors work. Um, and then the transfers accounted for more than 60% of the money that he raised in the first few months after he left PIMCO. Enzio, this kind of situation, how usual or unusual is it? Well, I think it all sounds a little bit curious to me. I mean, I don't, I'm not privy to Mr. Gross's thinking, except that he's some, somewhat perhaps changed his mind of late. But uh, it, it sounds all a little bit bizarre and, and frankly, a little bit fishy. Yeah, and um, he certainly is a huge investment personality, which is why, you know, this information is really making the news rounds. But if you sort of take the context and sort of transfer it to, you know, this side of the world and, you know, hedge funds and things here um, and other investment funds, is it usual? Is it unusual? It sounds from my very limited knowledge of this, of that patch, it sounds very unusual to have the bulk of the money coming from one investor. I mean, everybody has to start off as a, with, with seed capital and get going, and you have a client list whom you start with, but certainly not, excuse the pun, as gross as what we've seen just now. Okay, thank you. So speaking of seed capital, seed capital in a different context, we'll be talking about startups uh, here in Hong Kong and who is helping them. That's right after this message. If you're thinking of using pesticides, you should first look into the pest problem and consider other measures like improving hygiene. 
If pesticides are really needed, only use appropriate and registered products and follow the instructions on the label. Don't spray pesticides near naked flames, wall sockets, and running electrical appliances. And keep them away from children, pets, and food. Always use pesticides safely and properly. The time is now 8.23 a.m. And as the financial world continues to bet upon the development of tech, Hong Kong is determined not to be left behind. There are an increasing number of tech incubators being opened in the SAR, the objective to house and nurture startups that could grow up to be industry leaders tomorrow. Swire Properties Blueprint Project is a new initiative that has been designed to grow Hong Kong's tech community through subsidized space and strategic support. Blueprint was a sponsor for the recent Operation Santa Claus MBA Challenge, which raised in excess of 700,000 Hong Kong dollars for the charity. So let's welcome Henry Bott and Charlie Melvoin, who lead the Blueprint Project. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. So uh, I have to ask you, you know, uh, both of you, which... You know, the, with the number of tech uh, startups and incubator sta- spaces here in Hong Kong, what would you say is the difference between Blueprint and the other ones already out there? Absolutely. Blueprint um, is the first spearheaded by a corporate, which we think is, is a fantastic differentiating factor because we're enabling not only for the startups to develop their product, but then hopefully to be able to actually test them in real business situations by leveraging the companies within the Swire Group, within Swire Properties. So let's say there's a retail-focused one, put it in one of our malls, a hospitality one in one of the hotels, and in that process of developing the idea, enable uh, meetings with mentors that we've collected from Swire and also beyond and other corporate partners um, that we have. Yeah. So, it's, go ahead. Sorry, Henry. yeah, it's also the only um, accelerator focused on B2B startups, so we, we differentiate ourselves in that respect as well. So, from what I understand then, in your selection process, uh, you are specifically selecting applicants who could or would in some way be an asset to Swire at large. That's actually not a requirement. The B2B, as Henry said, is a requirement because that's where we see we can add the most value uh, if they're targeting corporates like ourselves and the partners that we've selected. But we have no specific stage or sector requirements, and it would be a bonus if we would be able to invest in them, um, perhaps even acquire them. But uh, it was not uh, ever specifically stated that they had to to align with our business business lines. Enzio, what do you think? Yeah, Charlie, so what kinds of investors and startups are you actually looking for then? Right. We're looking for promising, promising B2B startups for the accelerator part of Examples? the blueprint. Um, we haven't announced them yet. Oh, okay. Um, in fact, the accelerator kicks off next week um, right. for six months. And another uh, differentiating factor that we're very proud of, and I think that only a conglomerate or a company like Swire can, can enable, is we don't take any equity. And we're actually not charging these startups to enter our program. So it's really a, a no-strings-attached proposition where they come in and have six months to focus on nothing but their business without sacrificing anything. And we'll be really excited to announce next week exactly who these teams are. They're all B2B, but some just have an idea formed about a month before they applied. Some have already raised over a million U.S. in, in revenue. Um, so we have the whole spectrum, and that was purposeful as well so that they could serve as mentors within that collection of, of startups. Too. Here's Grandpa talking. What's the average age of these people who are, um, who are joining you? 
There's a real mix, actually. Um, I'd, I'd say probably around 35, but there's a real mix from college grads all the way up to um, men and women who have, who have been working in private business for years and years and years and have seen a, a gap in the market, seen an opportunity and moved to, to start up their own company. Now, you say that uh, your program provides an access to space, but not a seat. What does that mean? Right. So Blueprint has two components. The accelerator, which we've talked about, is one whole floor, and that's free for six months. Um, and this was a competitive application process, actually open to teams from around the world. So Hong Kong startups, absolutely. We had applications come in from North America, South America, Europe. Um, and we're really excited to give them this chance uh, for six months to accelerate their growth. But then another component um, of Blueprint is a tech-focused co-working space. And what's unique about the co-working space, which, as you mentioned, has become a common phenomenon in Hong Kong, is that it has that specific tech focus. And so we do curate it and have applications to get more tech startups uh, working in Blueprint. And with that, um, unlike a lot of the other ones, we do not have fixed. It's all hot desking. So we don't have any fixed desks and uh, offer access to our space where they can work anywhere they like, um, a variety of different workstations, but no fixed seat. So, so you're mentoring those, and then uh, could that become a feeder school for the Accelerator program? Absolutely. We're not mentoring them, actually, but we're providing all the resources they would need in terms of space, Wi-Fi, coffee, of course. Um, and, and coffee, very important. And it is, it is exactly as you say, <laughs> a perfect platform for them to learn about the accelerator and then apply um, very they, strategic are, very strategic okay so uh, time of course is short but I have to ask you so what is the selection criteria for the accelerator program aside from the fact that you have to be a b2b um, startup uh, only really two criteria like you said b2b and that it's tech focused so the product or service that they are working on is is tech related so uh, as Charlie said earlier there's no sector or stage um, requirements so market focus could be anywhere in the world, um, yep. ideas, anything. It could. And so I, we, we're not, we haven't announced the teams, but I'll give you just a taste. We have mobile payments coming in for, for our first accelerator program. We have a shipping logistics company. We have um, a retail uh, hardware software integration mm -hmm. solution. So really everything, um, which we're really excited to introduce to Hong mm -hmm. Kong in just one week. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, that is Charlie Melvoin. He is the project leader and Henry Bott, the business development leader, both at Blueprint. Thank you for joining us on Money for Nothing. Enzio, unfortunately, we're out of time, but give us uh, some quick parting thoughts. probably want to be a little bit weary of markets in the very near term because I do have great concerns about this currency mismatch. I think that the ruble is a foretaste of what we're going to be seeing, seeing in a twofold sense once the Ukrainian tensions going on and getting worse and worse. Secondly, the other third world countries coming in with their currency mismatches the people who've been and the the bonds thus coming under a great deal of tension the logic being that they can't they have to pay more and more local currency in order to service that dollar debt thanks enzio unfortunately we're out of time that is enzio van file of private capital our co-host for this friday morning this is renita malhotra hora signing off quick look at the weather forecast for today it'll be mainly fine with a rather cool morning the temperature right now is 15 degrees celsius and the relative humidity is 76 percent and here's the news with Samantha Butler.
The Undersecretary for the Environment, Christine Lowe, says if Hong Kong had no emissions at all, it still wouldn't meet air quality standards set by the World Health Organization. She told RTHK this morning the big story in tackling pollution is in getting Guangdong to continue with its emission reduction plan. Government data shows air quality here has improved slightly as it continues to phase out old diesel commercial vehicles. But Ms Lowe highlighted work the government is doing across the border, such as trying to clean up Hong Kong-owned industry there. If we switch off all emissions in Hong Kong, meaning if Hong Kong had no emissions at all, Hong Kong would still not reach the WHO standard. I just want to make that very clear. The reason for that is that Hong Kong is part of an airshed, and our neighbour in the Pearl River Delta is one of the most vibrant and productive uh, manufacturing zones in the world. And therefore, the improvements that we have had, actually not just between last year and this year, there's been steady improvement in air quality over the last few years. That's because of the efforts made in Guangdong province. The French security forces are continuing a huge search operation for two gunmen suspected of carrying out the deadly attack on the satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo. The hunt is concentrated.